Welcome to episode 8 of the Thunder Sports Report. I'm Rusty Lindsay. Thanks for joining us this week. Our guest this week is a familiar name to a lot of Thunder fans and head men's basketball coach Mike Schauer. And what Wheaton fans may not know is Coach Schauer is in his third year as a member of the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. And this year is also his first year as the national chairman of the committee. So I sat down earlier this week to speak with Coach Schauer about his role in selecting the national field for the men's basketball tournament, as well as what that was like as part of Wheaton's final four run a couple years ago. Well, Mike, thanks for taking the time to join us on the Thunder Sports Report. Let me start by asking, uh, I know it's a lot that just to be a head coach, so how do you get involved with the selection process and choosing to take this on above and beyond what your time commitments already are with your program? Yeah, so I, uh, the story is probably, you know, four or five years ago at the Final Four in San Antonio, I went to breakfast with Mike McGrath, our wives are with us, and we were walking back from that, and I was asking some questions about the selection committee and that sort of stuff, and Mike, who is uh, a good friend and is as involved in the, you know, the the committee work and and NCAA stuff as any Division three coach, really challenged me uh, to to stop asking questions and get involved. And so, the truth is, Rusty, I didn't even know how you get on a committee. I didn't even know how you did it. How do you get on the national committee? I didn't know any of those details, despite the fact that I was. 20 plus years in the business, I didn't really know. And so uh, by somewhat chance, the the central region uh, uh, national committee rack, you know, uh, spot was gonna open. And so I um, I self-nominated and uh, with Mike as my sort of the, the recommendation. And, and because I had served on the rack out in New England when I was at Gordon, uh, got on the national committee and uh, have absolutely loved it. Um, it's one of the best professional things I've ever done. I would tell any coach in any sport at any level to get involved. It's been great relationally. I love the men and women I've gotten to work with. It's been eye-opening about the process. Uh, I tell people all the time I'm going to be an apologist now for the National Committee for <laughs> as long as I, because I know the amount of work that goes into it. And while we don't get every decision right, I can tell you we, we take them very seriously and work very hard uh, to try to get it right. And... Uh, it's just been a great honor. Um, feel really humbled to go from a, you know, member of the committee to the chair. Um, that's obviously additional responsibilities, and uh, so it's just been a, a great experience and one I'm I'm thankful that that might kind of push me towards. What's probably the biggest thing you were maybe surprised by being on the committee? That, like you said, you kind of a, a a big. You learned a lot there. What's maybe the biggest thing that surprised you about the process and and what you learned right away? Yeah, I don't know. It surprised me. I just was uh, the just how um, we were aware of the weight of our decisions and those discussions and the impact it has on on teams around the country who who do get in and some don't get in, and to make sure that we are very consistent across the board. You know, I think when you're when you're involved as quote unquote just a head coach, you really kind of view it through your regional lens. And kind of, kind of wonder. In my case, you know, how is this impacting the the central region? But when you get on the committee, you realize that what is happening in the the east region and what is happening in uh, the northeast, all of those things impact how the central region is is interpreted. Because you're really fighting to have consistency across the board, so that the way you're doing the rankings out west and why you ranked Team A above Team B out West should also be applied then when you start talking about the Central Region. And so it, it, it just broadened my perspective 
to say it's not as simple as what's happening in our region. It really is a national uh, perspective. And then to be honest, you know, Sam Atkinson, who was our chair when I got on there, the fact that he was legitimately following 400 teams and really knew how just about everybody in the country was doing. And to sort of use that as a model to say, you know, I've got to be aware of, of what's happening in the mid-Atlantic region. Uh, even though I'm also preparing my team, I've got to be aware of those scores and, and those things. And so that, that surprised me how, uh, how educated the committee was about what was happening around the country. It's really remarkable. Obviously, we know having been around it a while and, and, and dealing with the specifics of it, but for those listening who maybe aren't familiar with the selection process, you obviously have the, the conferences who win their conference tournament get an automatic bid, but how do you go about then selecting the remaining teams in the field and, and weighting how they deserve to be involved or left out? Yeah, so the, obviously currently, and this is going to change in a year when we go to, go to 10 regions instead of 8, but for basketball, there, there's the 8 regions. And it, there's a variety of, of numbers that are ranked in each of those regions from, uh, I think it's the, you know, 8 to 11 or so in each region. And so every week starting in, in late January, early February, we, we go and um, you have regional, uh, you know, what is called RACs, who will rank the region. Um, and then that gets reviewed by the National Committee usually the next day. And the National Committee comes out with a national ranking of, of those eight regions. And... Uh, at the end of the year, once you have your automatic qualifiers, which which in our case is is uh, 44 at this point, and that leaves obviously 20 at-large bids, and so you use those regional rankings to pick the next 20 teams. But we do we do everything by rank. You know, we'll rank the top 16 at-large bid teams. So we do a lot of exercises throughout the year, so that when we really get to selection Sunday, that we have a pretty good sense probably of 14 or 16 of them based upon the momentum going forward. And, um, and then we just sit down and as a committee, um, we, we vote for lack of a better way to say it. We, we start voting on the process. And um, one of the things I really appreciate about our committee is, is there is, uh, as we get towards the end, obviously there's not, uh, there's a lot of discussion and a lot of disagreement who those last handful of teams should be. And yet, uh, you know, we're, you, we have great, uh, we're unanimous publicly um, about those discussions and that debate, and it's it's great and it's difficult because you know when you get down to eighteen, nineteen, twenty, that whoever was twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, you know eighteen, nineteen, twenty, you've changed their whole their seat, and twenty one, twenty two, and twenty three will have a legitimate argument as to why they might uh, should have been included in that group, and I just what I appreciate about our committee is the consistency of conversation. That's the goal. Is you know what what has sort of carried the day through the entire process for, you know, four weeks um, comes down to why we picked that team 19th and that sort of stuff. So it's a, it's a long process. That selection Sunday is a long, long day. Um, you know, last year uh, I went in on Sunday morning at about, you know, uh, 7.30 Eastern time and didn't walk back to my hotel room. I was in Indianapolis until about 2 o'clock Monday morning and was there the entire day, watching games, doing regional rankings, doing our national call, um, doing the, then the bracket uh, to actually schedule, put the teams together, uh, assign officials for those games. There's a lot that goes into that. That's an entire day process that 
um, is a really long day, but very rewarding when you get done get done with the process. Do you feel like having coached and been involved with this now in two different regions that gives you a better perspective when you get to 18, 19, and 20 and, and finishing that process? No question. I'm, and I'm, ac- I'm actually three regions. Uh, when I started coaching at Eastern, that's in the, the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, Gordon is in the Northeast, and then obviously Wheaton here is in the Central region. So there's no question I have a, a pretty strong understanding of of the leagues and uh, – uh, from from those three regions, and then obviously, you know, because uh, we compete um, here, there, you know, you also have the West region fairly represented geographically close to us um, when you consider Minnesota and some of those, some of those leagues. So um, it's very helpful to have had that perspective of of uh, coaching at, at multiple different schools in multiple different regions. There is a familiarity that's been helpful. How hard is it to balance wanting to put together the best possible tournament with the constrictions of the mileage and, and really keeping teams away from, from flights as often as possible? Yeah, so uh, you know, I appreciate that question because a lot of people don't know that, uh, that we have some of those restrictions in terms of the, the mileage that people uh, can travel, the limited amount of, of flights, and then the criteria, which we have to follow. I mean, we, we have to follow the criteria and maintain consistency with it. So the idea that we think Team A is better than Team B isn't relevant um, if Team B's resume and criteria is stronger. That has to carry the day. Uh, or the fact that maybe Team A comes from a quote-unquote better league, but Team B's resume is stronger. So we work really hard to have transparency and consistency in the process. Um, I will tell you, of the many things Sam was great at, uh, one of his strongest suits was the ability to put a bracket together with those restrictions. I think um, you know, last year's tournament was, was shaping up to be just an incredible um, experience we had great matchups great games we added the staggered times so games were starting at different times around the country finishing at different times um that part i thought was really exciting we had some you know kind of blue bloods like wash you were still playing and yet you had the yeshiva story uh going strong which is obviously a new team to the tournament so we had a lot of excitement building and a lot of that was sam's ability to really work hard. And I didn't, one of the things I didn't know before I got on the national committee is that the chair puts that together. Um, and so we sat there, I mean, Sam worked for hours to put together a tournament that was both as, as uh, met the criteria and yet was nationally competitive or as nationally competitive as we can get it, giving some of those restrictions. And it was, that, that bracket last year to me was one of the best I've seen put together. Having gone through the process a couple times now, do you kind of get some some retroactive understanding of maybe hey this is why we didn't we were on the wrong side of the bubble or why the bracket ended up for example for Wheaton fans the year they they had the bracket of death why it ended up with those four teams how those things come together is there more of a retroactive understanding of those things yeah t- broadly speaking yes you know I think uh, I think people that debate whether uh, that maybe have an uncertainty about the process. I actually think their criteria is pretty clear. You need to play and and uh, play good teams and beat them. Uh, it's pretty simple, and you got to you got to compete against regionally ranked opponents. You have to find ways to play that caliber of opponent. Um, and then you know the bracketing part is really difficult to meet those. So not being not as familiar with the country the year that you're talking about, which was the the 08, 09 season, um, I think. Uh, 
where where you ended up with so many good teams playing uh, so early in the in the tournament, um, it, it's really tough to avoid that from time to time. And you know you're doing it. You know you're putting together a second round game that is probably better than a second round game ought to be because of some geographical restrictions. Um, that being said, I do think I learned a lot watching Sam work through that and, uh, and, and put together a bracket and then think, can I move this team over here, um, which will give us a little bit. And he spent a lot of time uh, trying to balance that as best he could. I think, I think uh, Sam has probably has put together two of the best brackets and probably before that, but obviously I was intimately familiar with the two that I've been a part of. And it just takes a lot of work and a lot of creativity, to be honest. So, so yes to your, to your question. I do think, though, uh, we could, should continue and have trying to avoid as bunched as that bracket probably was that year. How different is the process when your team is involved then? Because you obviously had a lot of responsibility, and then your team ends up going on a Final Four run that changes those responsibilities immensely. So how does that process differ when you have to worry about your own team and the selection process. Yeah, so the, it was my first year on the National Committee um, to have our team do that. So it was a, it was a unique experience that, um, you know, that there are sort of checks and balances in place to make sure that our, our National Committee member doesn't have influence on his or her team in, a, in an undue way. And so when it came time for the selections, once your team, you know, and you can – it makes sense, right? You have eight regions, and sort of the top uh, at-large bid team in each region is more or less on the table. So as soon as your team gets to the table, you you have to go off the call, and somebody else, uh, a representative from your rack, goes on it. So given that year, if you recall it, uh, Augustana lost in the conference championship game, as did Wisconsin Oshkosh. So they were the top two teams in our region, and they immediately went in as at-large bids. The next team in our region was North Central, who got our automatic uh, qualifier. We were next. So we, we went on the table almost immediately. And so I actually wasn't on the national call <laughs> for, for a long stretch of time because we didn't go in right away either. We, we went in, you know, in the at mid-teen range. Um, and so I missed a lot of the call, to be honest with you. Um, and then was not allowed to be a part of the bracketing for obvious reasons. I shouldn't be a part of that conversation. So there was a huge chunk of the process, Rusty, I really wasn't involved in. And then to be honest, my, because we kept winning, I was then not on the weekly call about, uh, about the bracket where you're going to hold host sites for the Sweet 16, those types. I wasn't on any of those calls. Um, I wasn't involved in the Final Four conversations because we were in it. And then so it was sort of when we lost to, to Oshkosh, I then went back on uh, on Saturday as a committee member and was a little bit more involved at that. So it was an interesting experience that I, um, so I was really very much looking forward to last year being, you know, obviously I wish our team was in it, but to be, to be involved more as an actual committee member. And then obviously the season, you know, the tournament doesn't quite get to finish. So, uh, in one sense, I haven't actually had the tournament (laughs) experience of a national committee member yet. Was there, as you guys were putting together the bracket last year, was there some, maybe understanding that hey we might be putting together a tournament that doesn't get to finish or or where because things snowballed so fast last year that was there as you got to the selection process was there any feel that that maybe we don't get to see this thing through to the end yeah not initially and and perhaps that's our own in hindsight uh you know some some naivete on our part but not initially what 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 prompted it and the first time i went yeah this might not finish if you recall 
um, there was a case at Yeshiva, uh, a coronavirus case, not on the team, but at the institution. And uh, they were supposed to travel and did travel to Johns Hopkins to play. And Johns Hopkins was, and in hindsight, appropriately un unsure of their comfort level with that. And so that sparked quite a bit of conversation to how do we, you know, how do we get it so that Yeshiva and Johns Hopkins can play? Um, and there were a lot of conversations regarding that. And uh, it was in those conversations which really took place at the highest level of the NCAA basketball group because it, what was going to transpire here could potentially impact the Division I tournament, which was not going to happen for a few more weeks. It was in those conversations that I think a lot of us went, this might not finish. And the moment that I went, yeah, it won't finish, was when the, probably the rest of the country went, yeah, we're not going to do this, is, is obviously the Rudy Gobert announcement um, when the NBA canceled games because of it. I think we all went, yeah, we're probably not not going to be able to finish this. So I was actually at North Central. WashU was practicing when the NCAA announced, and I got the phone call that, that we're not going to complete the tournament, was getting prepared for the WashU North Central Sweet 16 game. And actually was the person that walked into the WashU practice and went, we're done immediately, like effective immediately, we're done. And fortunately, uh, their coach is somebody I know well, uh, and uh, their their players were understandably distraught, but tremendously humble and, and uh, gracious in their response to me, recognizing that. But it was, uh, it was something I had never, it was a very surreal experience to tell a team we were can't, the tournament's been been canceled yeah that's not really a conversation you ever to tell your own team or especially someone else's team that especially this close this deep in the tournament that that's that's it and and there is no chance for this to to finish yeah it was not something that i mean it was i still look back on it and uh and uh was was it was just it was not something that uh that i ever thought we would have to do obviously in hindsight totally get why we did it and and support the decision to have done it but um uh it was it was not something that we anticipated and i i ached for them i ached for our tournament which i thought you know we were going to culminate with the division two and division three national championships in atlanta um on the sunday between the final four and division one national title and it was just shaping up to be this unbelievable experience for our level and and for the two teams that got to participate in it. And to be honest, like one of my favorite moments is when the committee finally gets together face to face. We spend most of our time on phone calls. And that you know, that we haven't been together really since uh since a year ago, uh since almost two years ago now. So um it was it was a sobering experience. It was something that was was not a lot of fun. Forgive me if I don't if I'm getting the timeline wrong, but uh, we canceled the D three one went was before the D one conference tournament canceled, right? So it was almost simultaneous. So uh, the it was Thursday, um, so several several conference tournaments uh, at Division one had had started and been postponed. Um, actually, Duke and Kansas had announced they weren't going to play before the Division three tournament had been canceled, and it was. It was sort of an inevitable rolling of, of announcements that you could you could tell it was just a matter of time. E even as you know, North Central had practiced earlier in the day, and then WashU was practicing on Thursday, and you you could sort of feel the inevitable, the tide that was going. It was just sort of a matter of time because once you know, once Duke and Kansas announced they weren't going to play, I mean that was obviously a pretty big deal at Division One. So it was almost 
it was somewhat simultaneous. That all happened roughly in that same day. Was there still some surprise though that the Division One canceled their the NCAA tournament too? Because there is a feeling of of that that tournament's kind of bulletproof given how big it's become. That 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 massive giant toppled as well. Yeah. So I think uh, I think once once the momentum got going, it felt inevitable that it would. The fact that it did, and you know, when you when you think about it, is is, is astonishing. I think most people are are aware, but um, or many people are aware that obviously the NCAA's you know roughly ninety percent of its budget uh, each year comes from those three weeks in March, from the Division One men's basketball tournament and the the TV contract and that experience. So it's a it's a significant source of revenue to the NCAA. And so, yeah, there was certainly a part that you went, wow, this is pretty substantial. Um, but yet, at some level, inevitable and appropriate, given that what was going on uh, around the country and that um, virtually, you know, once you, once you have professional sports starting to step aside, it's, it's tough, to, tough to suggest that, uh, that the NCAA is going to continue to play.